Hello, everyone. I am very excited to welcome you to the latest episode of this new season of our Ipsos Brand Strategy Podcast, Brand Talk, inspired by Dal Rademacher where every couple of weeks we'll discuss an innovative brand topic with an inspiring guest on our show. But today we're gonna focus on the challenges that brand leaders face as they attempt to navigate a portfolio of brands through a constantly shifting contextual backdrop. I am Chris Murphy coming to you from my hometown of Nashville, Tennessee in the United States. And I am as always with Hazel Freeman, our head of global communications research at Ipsos. You doing okay today, Hazel? I'm very well, thank you. All right. So, Hazel, last time we did one of these recordings, you made a very unconvincing argument that Shakespeare had been more culturally impactful than Johnny Cash. I'm going to offer you a shot at redemption here with another Tennessee versus UK question. Here we go. You ready? Ready. I'm ready. Who made the greater impact, Elvis or John Lennon? I don't even know why you're asking me that. I'm just going to go straight with John Lennon. Elvis, what did he do? He sang. He had hips. He had hair. John Lennon wrote. He recorded. He was amazing. I'm not, no, I'm not even going to. I'm not even going to pretend to help you out on your Tennessee references there. Sorry. Oh my God, you've you've just reduced Elvis to hips and hair. Yep. If, if you have yep. any idea how many people you just offended simultaneously, this oh wow, what a start. What I'm a start sorry. to our day. Sorry, All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, uh, I'm pretty sure our listeners would uh, guess how I would vote in, in, in that one. But uh, this does bring us to our terrific guest who in a moment will allow to settle the tie. Uh, and uh, this fellow actually manages a portfolio of brands very much linked to the world of music. So this is going to be relevant. Today, we are so blessed to be joined by John Lovanos who started his career at Insights, but now leads a number of important global functions at Harman International. Uh, that would include marketing transformation, creative and advertising, insights, analytics. Uh, but today, we're going to primarily focus on his role as their lead brand strategist. Uh, hang on, hang on. That's not going to work. That seems like an awful lot that, that Chris has just said there. John, tell us what's on your business card or your short version. I guess if you had to shortchange it, it would be uh, leading global marketing. So I suppose some people would think it's strange that you have someone who had essentially consumer insights background. I mean, I am a consumer insights person uh, leading global marketing. But, you know, we, we've had a, a lot of success already. And, and, and I think there's a couple of reasons behind the success. One is when Companies, so many companies place internal stakeholders and or internal priorities above the consumer, as opposed to seeking to find where is the intersection between what we need to accomplish as a company and what consumers need from us. I think the other reason it it works is because I need to stay very self-aware that while I lead global marketing, I am not a marketer. And I think this is very, very important because it, it helps me determine when, when I direct, when I weigh in versus when I let the team 
exercised their muscles and their superpowers. And there are a lot of things where, you know, strategically, if we're, if we're going in the right direction, strategically, if we're delivering against the business objective and the marketing objective, when we get to a lot of the executional details, I really back away. And then finally, you know, this this only works if you have a really great team. And John, uh, before we start pounding you with with brand questions, um, I, I mentioned this a moment ago, but you, you do have a pretty unique career arc. Uh, there there just aren't that many people in the insights world who move on to lead all these functions that you, you've been describing. How did that kind of unfold for you? Chris, in some ways, it's your fault. Uh, so That's a great the, way to start, John. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you may recall that many, many years ago, we worked together on uh, developing a proprietary methodology or, uh, or, and or um, algorithm for measuring brand strength. Uh, and it wasn't just about measuring brand strength. It was, it was so what makes a brand strong and, mm -hmm. and equally importantly, how do you influence those things that make a brand strong? And, and at the time, you know, I was very into how do we measure this? But in that process, I, I became more interested in the, how do you make it strong? And what yeah. makes a brand a really, a really, um, a, a powerful and, and, an iconic brand and, and how do you get there? Uh, and so that was the start of it. And while I was, um, while I was often, often asked to lead brand positioning projects in, in, in my past life, uh, I didn't own I didn't own it. And so when the opportunity came up at Harman, yeah. I saw the power in the link of the two, if you bring the two together. And because, you know, then the brand positioning can be more insights led or insights inspired. But insights, you know, the data just creates the sandbox, right? That's the science that defines yeah. the sandbox. Then it's the art and the fun of like, what are we going to build within this sandbox? Uh, and so the two sitting under one house, it's one of those cliched, you know, the sum becomes greater than the parts, if, sure. if you will. So that and then the other piece, and this is the part I didn't have awareness of when we put those two together is. You often hear insights people talk about how do we get a seat at the table? You know, how do we become yeah. part of the decision making yeah. process? Well, when you're the head of brand strategy, you're already at the table. And so you can bring insights along uh, or I'm sure rather I should say insights is already there. Yep. Uh, and 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 that in hindsight turned out to be genius. Uh, I wish I could take credit for it and say I knew that was it, that was going to be the case, but but that just turned out to be genius. So um, it's had it's had a lot of benefits in a in a, in a in a lot of in a lot of ways. Excellent. No, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I'm I'm just gonna when we go and uh, you know do the the final edit on this, I'm I'm gonna substitute the word uh, fault for something like credit if that's okay. 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 Not a problem. <laughs>
not a problem. It's always about trying to take the credit. That, that's really interesting, John. And the way that you talk about that um, influencing, well, the kind of movement from influencing, measuring brands to influencing them. What do you see as the, the biggest challenges that you and other brand influencers, maybe I should say, rather than brand builders, are actually facing these days? What's, what's your biggest yeah. challenge keeping you up at night? Well, first of all, I don't mind you calling me a brand builder and going back to the business card. That might be if if I ever do get a business card that I might I might choose to put that on there because um, that really is where my heart. That really is where my heart lies. I think there are a couple of challenges uh, today. I think the biggest one is the explosion of easy to collect metrics. Uh, and and so it, it it in some ways it almost has become a distraction, mm-hmm. and so we're so we become as an industry become so overly focused. And I, by the way, I don't think I'm the first person saying this. We become so overly focused on click click through rates and conversion and so forth that it's that uh, reminds me of that expression of you know you 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 don't see the forest from the trees. Um, and and then there's a tremendous amount of of tension uh, between um, you know short term gains and and long term brand building. And you know I I um, you don't need to edit this out, but I I I'm actually even I'm actually kind of mad at myself that I even just described it that way. Uh, and I think that's part of the problem. This whole this whole short term long term mindset is the wrong is the wrong mindset and what we're trying to do or at least what i'm trying to do at Harmon, i feel like we're in a um we're in a world right now where even the language brand building turns some stakeholders off mm-hmm. and you get and you kind of get the eye roll and so what i am trying to do and what i'm trying to tell my team is is make sure you finish that thought with a business outcome because a lot of people a lot of people don't make the connection to the business outcome and so we need to make sure that we're that 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 we're articulating the business outcome when we when we talk about brand building and i'd actually try and use that term as sparingly as possible because the other thing that i don't like about the term is um it's become so overused that I don't know what it means anymore. So there's these words that corporate America, you know, becomes so enamored with, and then they get so loosely used, they lose their meaning. And but the reality is, 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 is brand building. It's okay. It's okay. as a, it's not specific enough. And what is brand building to Nike is different than what is brand building to JBL. What's more important is to, rather than use the term brand building, is to use the term that describes the marketing job to be done that will lead to brand building. John, uh, can can I take you back to a comment you made a moment ago? And I I really liked what you said about, you know, encouraging your teammates to always complete their sentences, you know, with uh, uh, with an implication for a business outcome. Right. I think that that's great for probably all our listeners, self-included. Um, tying that back to the, the comment that you made just before that, you, you said the when, when you use the word 
you know, brand building with certain executives, you get an eye roll. Can you talk a little bit more about why you think you get that eye roll? They don't understand the connection back to the business, to the business outcome. And, you know, with the with the the quarterly and monthly pressures yeah. to, to deliver uh, volume, they just don't understand it. Absolutely. But what sort of business outcomes using going back to you know, defining what we mean yeah. by the different sections? What sort of business outcomes are you being challenged to impact? So obviously people want to talk about sales. Um, but, and, and the other thing too is, in, you know, there's been a lot of work done in this area. You know, there probably are cheaper ways to drive sales than, than brand building. There, there are, and I'm not talking about promotions and sense off, even other, other ways. Each, each of these levers that lead to brand health, right? So if you just sort of take a step back and you go, okay, super, super simply, brand health is a function of product and presence. That's simple. And then within presence, there are lots of different ways to deliver on presence. There's obviously retail. So retail is a big contributor to brand health. Uh, there's friends and family, which is probably the most powerful le- uh, lever. Not probably, it is. And then there's mar- what we would consider marketing. And But each one has a superpower. And, and when you don't leverage marketing for its distinct superpower, you're not fully leveraging the power of marketing in delivering brand equity. And so it's about striking the right balance between how do I help enable sales or conversion, but at the same time, I'm carving out the appropriate level of budget that is really about that fully leverages marketing superpower. And for you, those challenges must be must be different across the different brands within your portfolio. So Harman, for those of our listeners who aren't so familiar with the brands as we are, Harman includes JBL, obviously Harman Kardman, um, bigger, sort of more niche brands like Mark Levinson, for instance. How do you do what's right for all of those brands within a portfolio? How do you manage that? Yeah, yeah. I think it's getting at, again, getting at, so for each brand, what is what does brand building mean? And, and secondly, it, there's also, like in the case of JBL, so there's, there's master brand or parent brand, if you will, but it, it, that work only takes you so far. At the end of the day, you still need <laughs> salience and speed to mind in, in the various categories. So, you know, JBL is a strong brand, but that doesn't mean I think of JBL when I'm ready to buy a headphone or in the same way I think of it when I'm ready to buy a speaker, what have you. Yeah. And the example I often give internally is, is our own parent company, Samsung. I mean, I, I immediately think of Samsung when it comes to phones and when it comes to TVs. And, and, and because I immediately think of it and, and many, sorry, many other people immediately think of it when it about phones and TVs, it has really impressive market shares in those, in those categories. I don't immediately think of Samsung when I think about home appliances. And, and as a result, 
it doesn't have the same level of market share in in home appliances as it does in 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 TV. So when you there's the other additional challenge. So many of our brands are, if you will, what for um, simplifying are one category brands, if you will. But JBL being the 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 power brand or or the or the 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 popular brand, if you will, within the portfolio. We leverage it across many categories. And so in a lot of ways, uh, for JBL, like I don't, I don't care so much about what brand building means at the parent brand level. I care about what brand building means when it comes to headphones, what brand building means when it comes to portables. Wherever that ends up, there needs to be a red thread that connects it all back for sure. But the, the the priority is to drive salience in in the specific category. So I'm just as I'm saying all that, I'm realizing I'm not answering your question. So so uh you know you have to make tough choices like everybody has to make tough choices. And I guess that takes you into the area of of context and contextual brand management and and in a context in all sorts of ways. Context in terms of the brands that you play against, they must be very different in different sectors of, of your market between the the more specialist brands such as yourself and the more generalist brands you, you use the example of samsung and how um, strong it is in so many consumers minds in the world of phones and tvs obviously a big competitor to you would be a brand like apple which has its fingers in all sorts of pies one of them being yours but then you're up against other brands like Bose or Beats that are much more specific to yours. So how do you deal with those different competitive environments? So it's 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 true. You know, our competitive set is goes beyond traditional audio brands, and it really comes back to for any given need or occasion. You know, what is the what is the choice set, and how do consumers evaluate products and brands against that much more specific context. So for instance, what I want in a speaker while I am cooking dinner is very, very different than, than what I want in a speaker when I'm having dinner, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or, or, or even after dinner. Uh, So it's, it's, there is no blanket, there is no blanket one size fits all, you know, but what's interesting with us is, you know, like in consumer packaged goods, you it's easier for a consumer to say, oh, well, I'll buy this for this, this for that. But you have to be you have to think it through. It's a more considered category. What do I yeah. and then what we find is there's typically a um, there's sort of like a hero occasion, if you will, or a hero use case yeah. or a hero demand space that you have in mind you know, when you enter and then you, there are secondary heroes and use cases when, when, when you have it, what you have in mind and, you know, what you want in those things is so different. You know, what, what is the same across all of them in today's world is, is, is easy access to my content. John, what you said a moment ago about, you know, what I want in a speaker while I'm cooking might be different than what I want during dinner. Uh, that that was very relatable to me because I, I'm the dishwasher in our household. You, you made me think of another example that I know you and I've discussed um, uh, offline, but uh, just for our listeners, we we have done um, a, a lot of R and D on contextual brand choice here at Ipsos, 
And one of the categories that, that we explored that there's so much in keeping with the story that you just told uh, was in uh, video streaming. And what we found is that, you know, the, the brands that people tend to go for, um, given their surroundings, given the moment they're in, given the people they're with, is, is really different, right? So um, if, if I'm just by myself or maybe with, with my wife, you know, uh, Netflix kind of comes to the top of the list. But if, if, it's, if it's more of a family moment, kids are involved, you know, nieces, nephews, whatever, um, now all of a sudden Disney Plus starts to elevate. But if, if I'm doing something else, if I'm working out, if I am cooking, you know, now all of a sudden YouTube goes to the top of the list and, and, and you see that um, in, in, in the data. And it's so cool and, and it's so much different than if you put yourself in the typical measurer's shoes. Um, you, you get a very different answer when you ask things contextually compared to when you just ask things very, very generally. It's so much more meaningful. I think when that's you, really you, relevant because the, the context are changing as well. I mean, both of you there have talked about things that there wouldn't have been an issue five, ten years ago. And I, I couldn't ask Google or Siri or anything else how to do my cooking. I had to go and look it up in a in a book, not even on the Internet in the older yeah, days. So, you course. know, all of these things are changing all of the time. How do you keep on top of them? The, the rise of cooking, the, the more home cooking since the pandemic, the all sorts of differences that must have happened in the category then. Yeah, and I don't I don't think my answer is going to be very terribly different than many than many people's answers. But, you know, you have to try and um, you have to try and peek into the future a little bit, uh, because if you're responding to right now, by the yeah, time you get the products late. made and you know, it's, it's too late. But, you know, look, the good news is, is, is uh, you know, barring things like uh, COVID, you know, things are lifestyle shifts are fairly predictable. Um and 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 it and there's uh you know the benefit of design thinking and and what if um what if exercises um and and to really sort of help with that because the reality of the matter is there's always um there's always an element of the future that is in the present and so it's 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 then it's really just understanding those present behaviors or attitudes and then and then understanding based off of all the macro forces at play, you know, which of those have, are, are primed to grow. And uh, yeah, so I don't know that that answer is, is terribly different than what many people would, would say. Well, put, and I, I think the important thing there that you talked about is those macro forces versus some of the micro ones. The, those macro forces could be about demographics. They could be about societal change. And hopefully they won't be about COVID again, but there will be some other equivalent. I guess. Can I just, can I just build on the, uh, can mm -hmm. I build on the comment about, so I love the, I love the Spotify, YouTube uh, example. That really, that was a great example. It really resonated for me. So I think as a brand, so so first of all, it isn't just uh, brand choice recommendations. It, that thing also really, what you described, I think could also really help with product portfolio, right? So so within a brand, do I want to prioritize? Because you, yeah. you're not going to have every context, and 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 which and which you prioritize is a function of both, um, you know, growth expectations as well as the brand, the yeah. brand, right? And so you can, uh, and then, and then you can look at within that. So then you have a limited set of contexts that you care about. Because when you give the example, it's, 
a little overwhelming. It's like, oh my God, how do I solve for all of this? Yeah. But there's an exercise where there's an exercise that needs to come where you say, well, yep. these are the three or four I need, I'm going to care about the most. And now that's a manageable size to go do the research and do the work exactly against those very specific contexts. But and John, just to stick with the example one step further, um, it, in, in my mind, you know, the, the, the case study I kind of went through and your reaction to it, it does have pretty profound implications for how we go about things in the measurement community, right? Absolutely. I, I feel like what what we uh, furnish our clients can, can be so much more useful if, if, we'll, if we'll boldly charge down that path. So, uh, and I know you still look after that community as well. Um, so uh, thank you for your, your thoughts on that. So if, if we go back to um, the, the, the contextual point um, and think like really broadly uh, about context. Um, you know, uh, Hazel started to to talk about societal issues, uh, long-term environmental issues. And uh, we also see in, in a lot of our data that, that many folks are increasingly looking to brands to participate um, in, in ESG solutions. Um, and um, in, in a lot of the R&D that, that we're doing, we're, we're seeing that those things are really popping up as key drivers in, in brand selection. You know, John, you'll remember 10 years ago, if we tried to put environmental or sustainability, you know, questions into a brand driver model, we could barely even fit it in. Um, right. <laughs> um, and yeah. These days uh, they're popping with authority. So I just wonder, just um, as, as as you're looking after, you know, the, uh, the the Harmon portfolio, what is your general take on, on just kind of uh, your participation in the um, in, in the ESG world? And what role does that have to play in uh, in brand management for you? Yeah, that's uh, that was a lot. Yeah, no, it's a it's it's a it's a it's a good question. So, well, first, it starts with the company and the product. First order is not how we market this or how we message this, but what are we what are we actually doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 then I I still don't see it as and it's just me. I should say, you know, this is not necessarily the opinions of my organization or this is my personal. Uh, this is my personal opinion. And I think we should let make sure that we have places where people can learn about what it is we do in this area. But I don't see it as something we should pat ourselves on the back over. In other words, it is our it is our it is our job as corporate citizens uh that we that we do those things. And I think we're getting to a point, I think we are at that point right now where consumers will penalize you if you don't, but they're not mm-hmm. going to give you extra credit if you do. And so for me, I'm a I sort of feel like, so what am I celebrating? Like why am I patting myself on the back? Do I pat myself on the back for brushing my teeth every morning? And, and and the other thing is it's critically important, but it's not differentiating. And what we should what we should be doing and saying are the things related to our brand purpose that as a brand or why we get out of bed in the morning and are differentiating. And you know, there's great examples uh, of brands that do it so so 
so well. It's so it's just part of their DNA to to say uh, and 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 do in in those areas. And I think I think that is one of the challenges of going back to the portfolio question. Um, you know, a, 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 a company that is a, what I'll call like a founder brand, if you will, you know, whether it's Pine Bars or, or Patagonia, like was, is genuinely part of, of, of why the brands were born out of that larger purpose. But the good news is, is that when you study the brand and when you study its history, while no one consciously, while, while no one may or may not have consciously, you know, conceived of the brand with the brand purpose, it's there. It's there. And so it's a matter of finding it. It's a matter of expressing it in a way that's right for today. And then, and then it's a matter of actioning it in ways that are right for today. And I think when you see, when it comes to brand purpose, which is very different than ESG, when you see uh, there are great successes of this and there are great mishaps associated with it. And you can almost always trace it back to, is does the brand have a right to say and do these things based off of their past mm-hmm. uh based off their history and their past behaviors and i think it's also really important is that there is the there is the company and then there is the consumer facing brand and even though they may share the same name it's not the same in consumers minds hey, john i absolutely love what you said about you know finding uh and expressing things in a way that's right for today. Yeah, um, so my, but, my whole thing on but, that but, is there's... But having the right to say it, right? Yeah. Or, yeah earning yeah. the right to say it by, yeah. by virtue of what you actually do. I, that is so... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but go ahead. No, well, I was the one cutting you off, so so shame on me. Yeah, so my thing is uh, every brand has a timeless truth, and then the job is to find the timely expression of that timeless truth. And I think when you deviate from that timeless truth, that's when you get into trouble. Well, and we might have just found the title for this podcast, um, <laughs> a timely expression. That's a podcast uh, of a, of a timeless truth. That's pretty great, actually. Um, if if you could just leave listeners with with one thought, because, uh, you know, we, we talked about uh, the current state of brand building. We, we talked about portfolio management. We talked about contextual management. Uh, we talked about ESG and purpose and um, but uh, cutting through all that, if, if you could just leave folks with, with one thought that you want to make sure registers, what would that be? Thank God. I thought you were going to ask me between Elvis and, and John Lennon. And we I was, are. We uh, are. Oh, oh, you are? Oh, dear God. <laughs> uh, what's the one thought uh, that, I, that I would leave you with? I think the one thought is, again, I think this, I would go back to brand building. And while the term is not the best term anymore. What is um, goes back to what we talked about earlier, which is find the way, find ways to keep it alive in 
your organization. And it may mean that you need to be a little covert about it. You may may mean that you need to talk about it in different ways, uh, but we cannot give in to these forces are that are all about what's my role as because here's the thing that kills me it's like so you have these these really big expensive consultants some of which are saying ah forget about brand building just focus on ROAS and you know you pay them millions of dollars to tell you that and what irks me is we all know we all know that's not the right answer we all know the bottom's going to fall out but then five years from now we're going to be paying them a couple of million dollars again to tell us we need to focus on brand building so so you know like they don't they don't they don't lose by being wrong but but uh, ironically it's profit it's not sales it's profit that will suffer the most if you if you deprioritize uh brand building in in your efforts thanks john um and yes you're not getting totally off the hook with the uh, lennon versus it can be just a one word answer but who, who, who do you think has the more lasting cultural impact? Elvis? Lennon? Well, I don't think I'm capable of one word answers. <laughs> uh, so uh, the 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 so first of all, I think what's really important is you have to and this is not easy to do is you have to pull out your personal preference. Like, do I like one person's music over another? So you really have to you have to go, OK, I, I need to really, truly be objective here. The only thing I would look to is which one is still more present in cultural conversation and uh and i would say that it's john lennon that is more present i will concede the point that that uh mr lennon is is more culturally relevant so uh no thank you again for just uh an incredible podcast uh john hazel um great stuff uh and very honest and candid stuff about the challenges of modern brand management um, and if you'd like to, to learn any more about uh, this topic, please send us an email at brandtalk at ipsos.com. And of course, the Nashville, London culture wars are sure to continue. And until then, talk soon.